Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for part two of the message, Moving Forward. All right, so last week, if you were with us, we talked about the ancient Isthmian Games that took place every two years in the city of Corinth, ancient Greece. And you know, um, those Isthmian games, they included a lot of different events. They included boxing, they included wrestling, they included the javelin throw and the discus throw and chariot races and foot races. And so the Apostle Paul seemed to enjoy these games, these Isthmian games, and he especially seemed to enjoy the foot races, which he used as a metaphor for running the race of life. And so I don't want anybody to misunderstand. Salvation is absolutely a free gift. As you've heard me say, I think now, over a thousand times. <laughs> We're saved by grace alone, right? Through faith alone, in Christ alone. But after we're saved, the Lord wants us to run hard for him and for his will and for his kingdom. I want you to look again at what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, their city hosted these Isthmian games. But he said, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And so run, run, Christian, in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, the ancient Isthmian games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we, Christians, we do it to get a crown that's gonna last forever. So Paul said that the ancient athletes, they ran for this perishable crown, um, this pine wreath <laughs> that they gave them. But we, as Christians, we run for an eternal crown, a crown that's gonna last forever. A crown, can you imagine how it's gonna be someday when we see Jesus, a crown that we're gonna be able to cast at his feet because he's worthy of all of our glory, honor, and praise. That's gonna be a beautiful day. And so what do I mean when I speak of running hard for Christ? In the context of our local church, what I mean is that we gotta stay on mission. Okay, so by way of review, what's our mission? Our mission is we exist to help people of all ages become lifelong followers of Christ. That's why my wife and I and our three daughters loaded up the truck and moved to Port St. Lucie 16 and a half years ago. This is what this church is all about. We exist to help people of all ages become Disciples, lifelong followers of Christ. If Calvary's your church home, I wanna encourage you to memorize that statement so when someone asks you, what's your church all about? Because you know churches have lots of agendas. Okay, what's your church all about? You can just say that and say it with conviction. And so I also want you guys to be well aware of the three M's of our calling as a church. Okay, so by way of quick review, what's the first M? It's our mission, it's to fulfill the great commission. It's not a great suggestion, right? It's a commission from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, all right? What's a disciple? It's a lifelong follower of Christ, okay? And so Christ in this age of grace, this dispensation of grace, church age, whatever you wanna call it, from Pentecost to the rapture, Christ has chosen the church to be the primary vehicle through which disciples 
are made. This is what our agenda should be all about. This is what should drive us. This is what we should be focused on. So many people are focused on so many different things. Well, this is what the Lord wants us to be focused on right there. He said it, and then later, he went to Bethany, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. What's the second M of our calling? Our model. And we don't model this church after some mega church in America, you know, that's growing. No, we get back to the Bible, and our model, model is the early church. And so they, that's the 3,000 people who got saved and then were baptized, the brand new church, day of Pentecost, they devoted themselves, so they weren't casual, they devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And so, um, what was the result of them focusing on those four things? If you read down five verses, Acts 2.47, the last verse in Acts 2, it says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so if a church wants the Lord to be part of that church, if a church wants to grow numerically and spiritually, that church should focus on the same things that the early church focused on. What is the third and last M of our calling as a church? Well, it's our message. And our message is a life application, verse-by-verse verse teaching of God's word. Why? Because Jesus said in the Great Commission, he wants us to teach them to observe, how many things? All that I've commanded you. So when a pastor chooses to always preach topical messages, the temptation is really strong, right, to jump around in the Bible and only teach messages that people want to hear. But when a pastor chooses to share expository messages, as that pastor goes verse by verse through books of the Bible, he can't skip anything. And so he has to, along with his congregation, as he feeds the flock of God, the word of God, he has to teach all that the Lord has commanded. And so our mission, follow the Great Commission. Our model, early church. Our message, life application verse by verse teaching of God's word. That was last week. This week we're gonna talk about how vital it is that a church has a core team in order to keep that church moving forward. And so a tool that a lot of churches have used for a lot of years to understand the relationship that people have with the local church it's called the concentric circles. And those of you who've taken Discover Calvary, you've seen this, but every church has these groups of people in relationship to it. Every church has a community, every church has a crowd, every church has a congregation, every church has a core. All right, and so in terms of our local church, our community is the treasure coast of Florida. And I don't know about you, but I love where God has called me to serve him for the rest of my life. And I don't know about you, but I can't, cannot wait. November 1st, usually until May 1st, it's absolute weather-wise paradise right here where we live. So thank God for where we live. But there's a lot of people on the Treasure Coast. And as I said in my prayer, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, can you guys say the word whoever? Whoever believes in Jesus won't perish. There is a heaven, there is a hell. We gotta get serious about having an eternal perspective. Everybody that you and I meet is going to heaven or hell. 
And so God loves them. He's not willing that anybody should perish, as Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9. And so God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. So that's our community. We gotta be community focused. It's why we're here. And then you have the crowd. Notice how my voice just dropped. <laughs> I gotta be careful here. All right, so the crowd. The crowd are the people who call Calvary PSL their church home. But they're not committed to our mission. I call them Christer Christians. And I use the word Christians very lightly. Christer, in other words, they come here on Christmas and Easter. And that's it. It's the only time you ever see them. Christmas and Easter. Uh, and then if they get inspired, they might come once a month, unless it's raining, and then, you know, we can't get out in that weather, man, you might get a cold. Or, you know, if it's a beautiful day on Sunday, they're at the beach. That's the crowd. And so, the crowd, every church has a crowd, every pastor is discouraged by the crowd. Then you have the congregation. The congregation are those who are committed to regular church attendance. Well, praise the Lord. You know, Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so they're committed to that, but they're not really involved yet. So they're spectators, not participants. They're in the stands, but they're not running hard for the Lord on the track. And so I have so much hope for the congregation, right? They're gonna become, at some point, the Lord's gonna speak to their hearts, they're just gonna make the decision, um, and they're gonna get involved in the core. What's the core team? The core team are those who are committed. They're devoted. You know, they're, they're passionate. They're the ones the Lord uses to keep the church moving forward. It's the group of people, ladies and gentlemen, this weekend that made it possible for us to have four weekend services during COVID-19. This is our staff. This is um, obviously um, our amazing, wonderful, incredible volunteer ministry partners. And we thank God for those people. Our core team not only believes in our mission, model, and message, they put that belief into practice by connecting and growing and investing here at Calvary. In terms of our church, our core team has a faith that works. And my wife and I, and I know I speak for a lot of people on our team, we're so, so grateful for those of you who are on the core team. And so yes, we should thank God for them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't say it enough. And so, who's the core? Well, they're connecting, and they're growing, and they're investing. What does it mean to invest? It means to invest your time and resources by joining a Calvary Serve team. So we have lots of these teams uh, all over um, the church, and if you wanna get on a team, you say, yeah, this is my church home, just go to our website, click on Next Steps and join a team. And then these people, they're impacting the world locally, okay, the, the, so the Treasure Coast, that means they're in a group and they're serving the community through their group. And then they're also, every once in a while, impacting the world globally, 
Um, that's, this is in regards to our mission trip. So every once in a while they go on a mission trip or maybe they support missions. But um, we're going to Haiti in December. We haven't been going on a lot of mission trips because of COVID. We haven't gone on any mission trips for a while. But we are going in December. I'll be doing a pastor's conference. We have room. We would love to have you come with us. And so you can get on that DC-3, I think it is, that was built during World War II. And you can fly with us to Haiti. It's gonna be exciting. And look at the last line. They financially partner with the church. Now, when you, we talk about a financial partnership with the church, we're talking about biblical stewardship. And biblical stewardship is, is uh, built on the foundation of two s- statements right here. All right, so we're gonna look at these two statements. Number one, this is where it all starts. God... <laughs> is the owner of all things. And then number two, we are stewards or managers of his resources, and one day, we're gonna give an account. All right, so God is the owner of all things. David said in Psalm 24, verse one, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so, guess what? God owns it all. And if God's the owner, that means we're not. Now when it comes to finances, and by the way, there's a reason why the great reformer Martin Luther said that a person's pocketbook is the last thing to get sanctified. (laughs) There's just something about money, right? We're just like, oh no, here we go. It's all about the money, right? But when it comes to finances, so many Christians, they just have this mentality that it's my money. I worked for it, I earned it. And so here's my challenge. Who gave you the ability to go to work? Who gave you the feet to walk into your workplace? Who gave you the eyes to look at your computer screen and the fingers to type out whatever you need to type out for your boss? Who gave you a brain to solve problems? Who gave you a heart that keeps beating? On the count of three, can we all say the Lord and give him praise? One, two, three, the Lord. (laughs) Thank God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We gotta have attitudes of gratitude. And by the way, when your heart stops beating, you're not gonna be able to take that money that you made at work or the possessions that you bought with your money into eternity. In other words, this will never happen to you or to me. It's not gonna happen. I don't know where that came from, but. All right, and so here, here's what I know about that, that picture right there. That U-Haul may follow that guy's dead body to the graveyard, but there's no way that U-Haul is gonna follow that guy's soul into heaven or hell. Why? Because you can't take it with you. So let's just hold on to it lightly. Let's realize we're not owners, that we're stewards, we're managers of everything that God gives. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So when it comes to biblical stewardship, God is the owner of all things, 
We are stewards or managers of his resources and we will give an account. Now you say, where do you get that? I get that from Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. And so those of you who know that parable, Jesus gave this amazing uh, parable. He talked about how there was a master who gave his three servants a certain amount of money. Okay, so a talent, what's a talent? Uh, a talent, in terms of Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, is a measurement of weight. Okay, we believe of silver. So kinda like, imagine bags of silver, but different amounts of silver in these bags. A measurement of weight. And so a master goes to his three servants, he gives one guy five talents. That's a lot of money. He gives another guy two talents. He gives another guy one talent. And then he goes on a long trip. But listen, the master always comes back. And he comes back, and when he comes back, they had to give an account of their stewardship. What did they do with what was given to them by the master? And so the good news is, the first two guys that he gave the five and two talents to, they traded their master's money, and they made more money for the master. And they heard the beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. But the other guy, the last guy, who got one talent, he went and he hid it in the ground, dug a hole, threw it in the ground. And you know what the master said to that guy? And I quote, you wicked and slothful servant. Now what's Jesus trying to say? He's, when he uses the word talent, it's a metaphor for what God has given to us. And so how are we using what God has given to you? I call it the three T's, time, talent, and treasures. Okay, so all of us have been given a certain amount of time, 24 hours a day. It's a gift from God. And then all of us have been getting, given a certain amount of talent. Now, I'm using the word um, in application sense for the gifts God has given you, the abilities God has given you and I, the skills that God has given to you and I. You know, the intellectual aptitude, whatever. Time, talents, and then treasure. God has given all of us a certain amount of resources. We're not the owner, he is, but we're the managers. And then one day, how many of you guys believe that Jesus is coming back? So he's gonna come back and we're gonna have to give an account of what we did with what he gave us. Did we spend it on ourselves and our agenda or did we spend it on the Lord? Thinking about the Lord and his agenda. What he wants to accomplish on the earth. And so um, I want you guys to hear this statement and I, I wanna say it twice. I should have made it a point but I didn't, and so I'm just gonna say it twice. As Christians, I'm not talking about lost people here, okay, so as Christians, what we experience in the afterlife will be determined by how we used the time, talent, and treasures that God gave us. That's a, a lot, and so I'll say it again. As Christians, what we experience in the kingdom age I'm talking about in regards to rewards 
and responsibility. I'm talking about, and by the way, you're not gonna go to Florida off into heaven and be an angel and strum a harp for the rest of eternity. If that's heaven, I don't wanna go there, right? But that's not heaven. And so I'm talking about in terms of the kingdom age, what we experience as Christians in terms of rewards and responsibilities, crowns and what we're co-heirs with Christ of, some ruling 10 cities, some ruling five cities, whatever that means. What we experience in eternity will be determined by what we did with the time, talent, and treasures that God bestowed upon us. We gotta live in light of eternity. We gotta live with an eternal focus because we're here for a little while, life's a vapor, but then we are absolutely gone. Now when it comes to the stewardship of giving, the tithe is a great place to start. All right, so the word tithe in the Hebrew simply means a tenth part, it's easy math. So if you're a kid and you get $10 a week allowance, first of all, I wish I had your parents growing up, but number two, that means that $1 goes to the Lord. You know, parents, why do we try to be our, a friend to our kids before we're a parent to our kids? God put you as the adult, they're the children, and you gotta guide them with love and discipline, and there's gotta be a balance between the love and discipline. You're not primarily their friend. And so, this is just one of thousands of principles in the Bible. If you're an adult and you make $1,000 a week, that means $100 a week goes to the Lord. Now some say, well tithing was for those who were under the law. I'm under grace, I don't have to tithe. Did you know the average American, last I checked, gives 2.5% to the Lord, 2.5%. And so I would respond, okay, since we're under grace, do you really think God wants us to give less than those under the law? In other words, what I'm trying to say is, you know, you have the old covenant, okay? So under the old covenant, God's people gave a minimum of 10% to God's ministers and God's ministry. That's the old covenant. So you're trying to tell me that under the new covenant, which is a greater covenant, God wants us to give less? That doesn't make sense to me. And so the truth is that tithing is not even, um, it's not an issue of law versus grace. Here's the truth. The principle of the tithe predates the law of Moses by about 430 years. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ. So 430 years before, um, before Moses ever came down Mount Sinai holding the Ten Commandments, and then later he receives the whole law from God. 430 years before that, you have Abraham, the father of faith, the guy that Paul wrote so much about in the book of Romans. You have Abraham, and he tithes to a very interesting figure. And so what happened was that Abraham was returning home from, um, from rescuing Lot. You remember the story in Genesis 14, and he's carrying the spoils of war, and he meets this mysterious man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek meets Abraham carrying the, the, the wine and the bread. Melchizedek is called in Hebrews the priest of the most high God, the king of righteousness, the king of Salem or peace. And concerning Melchizedek, the Bible says this, so interesting. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, 
But, and I want you to read what's underlined, please. Go ahead. Now, Kizedek, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, scholars debate about Melchizedek's identity. Some say that he was an Old Testament type of Christ. Other people say, no, he was an actual Christophany, a, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And so the debate goes on. I personally believe that he was a type of Christ. But no matter what you believe about Melchizedek, look at what Abraham gave him. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all, a tithe of the spoils of war. And so 430 years before there was, ever was Moses or the law of God, Abraham, the father of faith, tithes to a man who's a, the type of Christ. That's just powerful to me. because I see, I see a principle and by the way, you keep reading in Genesis and you see that Abraham's grandson Jacob makes a vow to tithe. So we see that tithing is before the law of Moses and we see that it's during the law of Moses. Look at what God said through Malachi. Okay, so this is during the law. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me. Okay, so test me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that will, there will not be room enough to receive it. And so maybe you've heard this before, but this is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me, test me, try me. And somebody says, well, why? Why would God say that? Here's why. Because he wants to prove to you that he's real. He wants to prove to you that he's alive, that he really can intervene in your life, that he can change things if you'll honor him with your finances. And so some people say, I can't afford to tithe. You don't understand. And I would say with windows of heaven opening and blessings that are overflowing, you can't afford not to tithe. This is just you know, the, the, the way that the Lord works. And so I challenge you, put the Lord to the test. Start regularly giving him 10% of your income and see if he doesn't keep that promise in your life. So we see it before the law of Moses, during the law of Moses, and in keeping with that pattern, we see that Jesus endorsed tithing in the Gospels. Okay, and so I'm gonna read it from the ESV first. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, that's herbs, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, tithing, without neglecting the others. Okay, so a more modern day, easier to be understood translation, New Living Translation Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even on the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now you should tithe. And there's the endorsement, by the way. And by the way, you know, when Jesus says something, that settles it for me, there's no more debate. You should tithe, yes but do not neglect the more important things. 
And so, if you're new to the Bible, the scribes and Pharisees, they, they were the legalists, okay? So what they were doing is they were taking herbs from their garden, mill, I'm sorry, dill, mint, and cumin, little stuff, and they're like, okay, nine over here, one to the Levites. And, and Jesus is saying, you guys give so much attention to such little things like tithing on your herbs, and you give so little attention. You give so much attention to these these matters of tithing on herbs, and you give so little attention to the weightier matters like love and justice and mercy. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more, more important things. Now, some people say, well, Jesus was talking to Jews who were under the law, so this doesn't apply to us as Christians. And I would respond, if you're with me, say amen here. Most of what Jesus said was to Jews under the law. Why are we fighting God in this? Most of what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was to Jews under the law. And so as Christians, are we supposed to just forget everything Jesus said because he said it to Jews under the law? Are we supposed to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just rip out all the red letters and say that doesn't pertain to us? No, obviously no. And so, in his awesome book, I really recommend this book, uh, by Randy Alcorn, it's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. By the way, Randy Alcorn, in his early, um, early in his ministry, he paid a big, big price for taking a stand for the pro-life movement. And you can read about his testimony later. But he wrote over 50 books. He's a great author. He's a great brother in the Lord. A strong evangelical Christian. He wrote a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And in chapter 12, which is the chapter on tithing, uh, he quotes the early church father, Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a bishop of ancient Gaul, which is modern day France, and uh, he lived in the second century. And so, concerning Christians and tithing, this is what Irenaeus said. This is not the Bible, okay? So, this is not authoritative. I just want to use this as an example. Irenaeus says the Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians who have liberty assign all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely, I think this is interesting, not the lesser portion of their property. In other words, not less than the Jews gave. (laughs) Since they, Christians, have the hope of greater things. So you have Irenaeus, he's a significant figure in church history, he's an early church father. Uh, he lived close to the time of the apostles. We think he was born in AD 130, it's debatable. We know he died in AD 202, but it's close to the apostles, and he took a staunch stand for truth. He, he fought against heresy in the church. He said that Christians did not give less than the tithe. And so, at least according to Irenaeus, 10% was the minimum standard of giving. All right, so, I don't want you to answer out loud, I don't don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to answer this in your heart between you and the Lord. And so, I wanna ask you, if this is your church home, if you believe God is in this church and he's moving, and we have, the, the best days are ahead of us, would you be willing, if you're not already, to begin to tithe to this local church. And then above your tithe, give offerings as the Holy Spirit leads you. 
And by the way, there's people who live that kind of life and it's so amazing just to see how God uses them to meet needs. And God blesses them. And as one of your offerings, would you be willing to give above your tithe to our school? On August 31st, it was a beautiful day, a Monday, we kicked off our newest ministry, Calvary Christian Academy. And it's going so, so well. I think we're three weeks into this, and so the building is built, now it's time to build kids. And so that's what they're doing right now across the street, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not just an hour or so on the weekend. And so right now we have 100 students who are enrolled in our school, and we have 22 faculty and staff members, not including our armed security guard, uh, Officer Fritz. We had Calvary Christian Academy, a day, three weeks ago, and the elders prayed over our faculty and staff. It was a wonderful thing. We revealed the mascot, which by the way is a panther, which happens to be my brother and I's uh, mascot from our alma mater and from high school. Just didn't know if you knew that. There's my brother, the head of school. He, he shared in a passionate message on Calvary Christian uh, Celebration Weekend, and then uh, there's a, a very generous couple in our church who donated this monument stone. And so this monument stone is right across the street underneath the flag. Calvary Christian Academy, a ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie, equipping students to be lifelong followers of Christ. I mean, listen, I love our public school teachers and I'm so glad for those of you who are letting your light shine in the public school system but, but listen, public schools cannot equip students to be lifelong followers of Christ. And then the three big things that I've been talking about for three years, excellent education, and they're, they're giving them an excellent education. My wife is one of the third grade teachers. She's on cloud nine because she's back doing what God's called her to do in terms of teaching kids, and she's like, Mike, we got a great team over there. It's amazing what's happening. Um, excellent education, biblical worldview, Christ-centered environment. And so we're, we're excited about the first three weeks that we're through. We're excited about the future. And so before COVID, we had these big expectations of where we would be in our, in our enrollments. But you know, everybody has been affected by COVID. Um, and so our enrollments are not where we thought they would be, but we're still walking by faith. I shared this a few weeks ago at our Calvary Christian Academy celebration, but I was on the phone with one of our board members. His name is Pastor John Cinelli. He's served over 20 years at Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale. He's still serving as a part-time pastor, and by the way, we are privileged and honored to have John Cinelli on our board here at Port St. Lucie. Uh, But anyway, he, he said to me on the phone, he was trying to encourage me, and he says, Mike, if it wasn't for the virus, we'd be in a different place concerning our school. And I love the way he always says, our, our, because he's part of this. And I have to agree with him, but here's what you guys need to know, our board of directors, we all stand united on this truth. If you're with me, say amen here. God is bigger than the coronavirus and he's gonna provide. He's bigger and he's gonna provide. Now obviously, God provides through the faithful giving of his people. he, he provides through people you know, who wanna invest in his kingdom agenda. And so again, I wanna ask you in your heart, would you make that commitment, if this is your church home, to begin to tithe here to this local church and give above the tithe 
to our school. Now, some of you guys can give a large donation to our school. That would be a big blessing. Others of you, you know, you say, I can't, but, but, but possibly you could give a little bit above your tithe. There's no gift that's too small. If your answer is yes, you guys know what to do. You go to calvarypsl.com, you click on give, you go under fund, and you'll see the general fund, and then you'll see Calvary Christian Academy underneath that. Now, let me just say a couple more things. A lot of you have been given for years your prayers, your love, and your financial gifts to our school. And you know who you are. But our students, they'd like to send a message your way. And so check out this for about a minute. Thank you for teaching us the Bible and what truth is. Thank you for our textbooks. Thank you for our library. Thank you for our sport court. Thank you for our building. Thank you for our school. Because of you guys. It's because of you guys that they're learning and they're growing. Yes, we can give it up to the Lord. So year one, 100 students, not what we thought, but praise the Lord, we've got the plane off the ground. <laughs> and can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, what it's gonna be like in year five, 10, year 40, I won't be here. I might, I might come up you know, with a cane or something. <laughs> can you imagine what the Lord is gonna do? And he does it when people are faithful to honor him with their financial resources. Mm -hmm.